Before we get started this morning, let's go to Lord in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Your love is immense. It is intense. It is far-reaching. The fact that you love each and every one of us is beyond comprehension. Lord, the fact that you love me is beyond my comprehension. We all have our pasts. We have all failed. We have all fallen short. But Lord, that's what the crucifixion was for. For on that day, you became our sin. On that day, you paid it all. May we never forget the beauty of your love. May we never forget the sacrifice you made for us. And yes, it is coming up on Christmas, the day that we celebrate your birth. But the whole purpose of your birth was to die for our sins. So Father, we thank you for that reminder today. I ask that you would be with us today as we begin this series on Welcome Home. God, that we can see that there is no greater love than the love that you have for us and the love that we should have for one another. So Father, I pray for your blessings upon us this morning to guide and direct, to speak to us, to draw us close to you. Let every word that proceeds from my mouth today be yours, that I'm just simply your mouthpiece. Let your word be spoken, let lives be touched, hearts be changed. And I pray today, if there's anyone in here that sees himself in this story as that lost sheep or that lost coin, God, that today they would find that you are pursuing them and that you are ready to accept them and bring them into the fold. Father, let today be the day for someone. Let them see how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 15. Today, we are starting a series simply entitled, Welcome Home. Welcome Home. Today, we're going to talk about the pursuit of God. Can I just go ahead and say this morning, right off the bat, I love you. <clears throat> I mean it. I haven't been here long. I know that. But I can honestly say I love my church. How many of you can say that? I love my church. Just exciting to get to know you, to be able to talk with many of you, to pray for you, uh, to have you pray for me. It's just a blessing to be a part of such a wonderful church. And I tell you, when we talk about loving each other, there is nothing like the love of God. Nothing like it in all the world. Now, I want to ask a question this morning. What are you willing to search for? How many of you have ever lost a set of these? Right? You know what I'm talking about. You, you, man, if you lose these, you're going crazy. How many of you, your wife is the finder of your keys? Any of you men are willing to say that? Man, I will just toss them anywhere and be like, honey, where's my keys? I don't even look. I just automatically just say, honey, where's my keys? You know, like she's just supposed to be some key finder. But, man, we will search long and hard for the keys, right? We will, we will go wherever we can to find those keys. How many of you have ever lost one of these? Oh, man, that's like, that's like your heartbeat, right? <laughs> I got to have this phone. I mean, life can't be lived without this phone. I mean, what did we used to do 10 years ago when people couldn't reach us at the restaurant? 
We actually had dinner with our family, right? It was a good thing. Man, you lose that phone, man, people will go crazy. They're like, find my iPhone. Well, wait a minute, I don't have my iPhone. How can I find it without finding my iPhone, right? And so your, your wife's got it on there. And I mean, we, we'll go crazy over these things. How many of you need your glasses? How many of you have ever lost a pair of glasses? Man, you'll search long and hard to find those. Why? Because you want to see. Man, we, we will search for all kinds of things. How many of you have ever lost money? Man, I've seen some of y'all. Y'all go over to people's houses. Y'all start searching in the cushions, don't you? Y'all like digging out chains. And, yeah. Man, we don't like to lose money. Man, we, we will search long and hard for it. How about our pets? Any of you guys ever lost a pet? Man, you'll search for that pet, won't you? You'll go, you'll go to the ends of the earth to find that pet. How about a kid? <laughs> Anybody in here willing to admit they've lost their kid before? Anybody? I'm not going to tell on me this morning. I'm going to tell on my parents this morning. When I was a kid, I was about nine years old. Our family went to Bush Gardens. Anybody ever been to Bush Gardens, Williamsburg? We went to Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. Nine years old, my little brother, about seven years old. Older brother's 12 years old. We're out there. We're having a good time. Mom and daddy are just excited to take us to Williamsburg. And we're just, we're just enjoying our time out there at this great park. Well, it gets time to close. And so dad tells us, let's go. It's time to get going. And so all of us, we start following, and, and none of us are really paying attention to each other. We're just, we're tired. I mean, we've been there for 12 hours, so we're walking to the car. We're like, man, I'm ready to get in the car. I'm tired. I'm wore out. I'm ready to go. We get to the parking lot. And as soon as we get to the parking lot, I hear my mom go, where's Kenny? Kenny's my younger brother who's seven at this time. Where's Kenny? Man, I, I got rid of him? Woo! You know? <laughs> But she's, she, you know, we didn't celebrate because we probably would have got tore up right there. But she's looking around. She's going, she looks at my dad. She goes, Ken, where's Kenny? And my dad goes, I don't know. He was behind us. I don't know where he's at. Now, you're talking about this massive amusement park, acres and acres of land, tons of rides. Kids can get lost anywhere in this place. And my brother's gone, you know. And so we go back into the park, and so we're doing everything we can to find my brother. My, my parents, they stop a security guard. Hey, we need some help. We, got, we can't find our kid. Please help us find our kid. So they radio in to all the security people. They're looking for a little seven-year-old boy that's wearing, you know, this wild 1980s outfit. You know what I'm talking about. It was easy to spot kids in the 80s. They had those tube socks with the two stripes on them, right? You warm up to your knee. You know, Walt Williams brought it back in the 90s, but it didn't work too well for him. But, I mean, we, we did. We, they're searching for him. They're looking for him everywhere. They're getting every security guard. They're asking every person. They're stopping every person entrance looking for my little brother. They have lost my little brother, and so they are concerned. Finally, they find him. He is in the other parking lot. The other parking lot. There's two main parking lots. He's in the other parking lot, hovered by a trash can, just crying Wondering where his parents are. What had happened was he was watching my dad. He turned away, got distracted for a second, turned around and followed a man that looked just like my dad to the other parking lot. When he got out of the other parking lot, he realized that's not my dad. But man, we'll do anything to find our kids, won't we? I mean, if it's our kids, we'll go to the ends of the earth. Our kids can be uh, grown up and out of the house, but if your kid calls you and says, hey, I need some help, as a parent, we usually go, what do you need? Where do I need to drive to? Who do I need to kill, right? 
What do I need to do? How, how can I help you? And so we'll do anything because if our kids are lost, we want to help them. That is just natural to us. Well, today we're going to talk about two things that got lost. And this is a story of God's pursuit of those things. Now, here's the truth of the matter. Those things represent something that is of great value to God. So let's take a look this morning. Let's look at the first picture of God's pursuit for the lost. And that is the lost sheep. We begin in Luke 15, beginning in verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. He drew near and he brought in the publicans and the sinners. Isn't this awesome, the fact that he brings in tax collectors? You know, he says, let's, let's bring them all in. Now, here's the amazing thing is when you think about the 12 that Jesus chose, one of them was a tax collector. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is they were some of the most despised people of the day. Kind of like today, right? We love tax collectors. These guys went above and beyond, though. They not only collected the taxes that they were supposed to collect, but because they had a certain area, they would collect a little bit more of the tax so that they could put it in their pockets, so these guys were some of the most hated people of the land. They were considered to be in the category of Gentiles and almost in the category of Samaritans. And so these publicans are surrounding Jesus. Jesus even calls one to himself. And when he calls Matthew to himself, Matthew throws this huge party. Now what's interesting is the Pharisees in verse 2, they are what? They're murmuring. They're upset. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. How dare he Go to that link. How dare he go and meet with those people? Can I tell you something? Those are the exact people God wants us to meet with. Those are the exact people that God is trying to reach out to. God understands that we are the downcast. We're the downtrodden. We're the ones that are in need. And so we need to be reaching out to them just as Jesus did. Well, the Pharisees, they, they didn't understand. In fact, in Matthew 9, when, when Jesus had that big party thrown for him because Matthew wanted his friends to come in and meet him, he says, I can't believe he sits down and he dines with these guys. Well, what better place to be to reach those that are in need? Well, Jesus is going to use this as an opportunity to teach them a parable. It says in verse 3, and he spake this parable unto them. He wants them to think for a second of this imagery of a shepherd and his sheep. Now, you might say, well, why does that seem important? Well, you need to understand it was important to God that there are two times he calls himself a shepherd. Two times that we can see in Scripture. In Psalm chapter 23. Most people love this psalm because it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, you got to understand that they didn't really like shepherds. Shepherds were not considered good role models. They weren't considered good images for people. And now Jesus is telling them that, look, there's a shepherd, and he's looking for these sheep. And so the shepherd was a display of who God is. He's calling God a shepherd. 
The Lord is my shepherd. Now, what's interesting is what this shepherd is willing to do. This shepherd provides for his sheep. He says, I shall not want. It was up to the shepherd to lead them into the green pastures. It was up to the shepherds to make sure that there was food for the sheep. And so here he's saying, I'm going to provide for you. Not only am I going to provide for you, but this imagery is, I'm going to also take care of you. He says, he leadeth me to lie down in green pastures. Now, understand, if he's calling himself the shepherd, what does that make us? Oh, did you just call yourself sheep? Now, you think about what that means. All right? Sheep are considered some of the dumbest animals in the world. I hope y'all don't get mad at me for just calling y'all a dumb sheep. But I am also one. And I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons why, and it comes out in Psalm 23. You know, when a sheep will lay down, they lay down actually on their belly. But sometimes a sheep will get comfortable, and he'll kick out on his feet, and he'll get rolled over on his side. How many of you have ever tried to roll out of a couch? Right? The sheep is laying there, and when it gets its all four legs up in the air, guess what it does? It starts pawing, and it starts kicking. And you know what happens to the sheep? The equilibrium just takes over, and it just keeps flipping. And you know what happens to a sheep when it flips over? The gases build up in its system, and it will die within a couple of hours. You see, what he's saying here is, I'm here to protect the sheep even from their own ignorance. If the sheep rolls over and it loses its place, if the sheep rolls over on its own trying to make itself convenient, I can tip it back over, back on. It doesn't have to be scared and worried about dying. It doesn't have to worry about the gases building up in its belly. I'm going to protect it. I can make it lie down in green pastures. But the second image is this. He says, and he leadeth me beside the still waters. Again, sheep are not the smartest things. They will get up to a running river and they'll begin to drink the water. The problem is, is they may come in from the side. And what happens to wool when it gets wet? So the sheep dips in and all of a sudden it starts absorbing the wool. Weight takes over and what happens? Into the water it goes and it would drown. So a shepherd would be there with his staff to Keep the sheep back from getting their wool in the water just so that it can drink. He protects them. He leads them beside the still waters. In other words, he's protecting them from the things that come along in life that want to take you away. You see, the shepherd is there to protect his sheep. So he understands that the shepherd is there to provide. The shepherd is there to protect. We also go over to John chapter 10, and we see that second image of a shepherd that Jesus describes in John 10, beginning in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd whose own sheep are not seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. You see, the good shepherd will give his life for you. You need to understand the imagery here that Jesus is proclaiming. He's telling them what he's getting ready to do for them. I want to ask you this morning, anybody ever died for you? I know of one. I know of one that gave his life for you. He took all of your sin upon his body and he died on the cross. And three days later, he rose again so that he could defeat death, sin, and the grave for you. You see, he gives his life for us. The good shepherd will do that. In fact, a good shepherd would jump in front of the animals, the wolves, or the bears, or the lions that tried to attack his sheep. In other words, he was willing to go down in order to protect those he loved. And that's exactly what God did for you. 
But he goes on in verse 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Isn't it amazing that God knows you? God knows what you're going through. There is no circumstance that you're under right now that God doesn't understand or know what's happening in your life. God knows exactly what's taking place. God is working in his time, in his way, to work it out for your good and for his glory. I know it. And so I see this, I'm amazed that God is saying, I am your shepherd. I'm going to protect my sheep. I'm going to love my sheep. I'm going to give my life for my sheep. We know he loves them. Because nobody would give their life for somebody they didn't love. Can I tell you, I, there are a few people I know I would give my life for. I know for a fact I'd give my life for my wife and my children. I would. There's one day we were at home. When we lived in North Carolina, we had a security system. And all of a sudden, that thing goes off at like 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what in the world? Who is breaking into our house? So my wife is sitting there, and she's in the bed, and I'm like, okay, you go get Caleb. His room was the closest. I'll go get Hannah. We ran to their rooms. We grabbed them. We took them into the bedroom. And my wife's like, you know, she knows that the cops are going to be called. The alarm company is going to be calling soon. And, you know, we're just trying to make sure that the kids are protected. And she sees me walk over there, and I go over to the candlestick, and I roll the candle off of it, and I'm going downstairs like Clue. <laughs> you know, I've got my candlestick, and I'm going downstairs and I'm going to protect my family. And I don't care who's down there. And so the alarm company lady, she calls up. She says, yeah, we see your alarm's going off. And she goes, yeah, my husband is going downstairs to check it. And she goes, if he dare. And I went downstairs. And I wasn't concerned about my life. I wasn't concerned of what was going to happen to me. All I was concerned about was making sure that my wife and my kids were locked in that room. And that nobody was going to get to them. And that guy was going to have to get through me. Why? Because I love them. I love him, and I love him so much I don't care about what happens to me. God does the same for you. He loved you so much. He bore the sin on his body. He took your pain. He took my pain. He took your death. He took my death, and he put himself on that cross so that we might be free and we might not be guilty one day before him. And it's all because he loved you. You see, that's the image that Jesus is trying to get across here in this parable. And so he says what? He spake this parable unto them, saying, What man... Of you having 100 sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. Now, how many of us, we're sitting there, we're reading this imagery and we're going, whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me he's going to leave 99 to go get one? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. You want to know why? Because the sheep would be fine together. It's when they got separated. See, wolves will come into a pack, and their whole purpose when they come into a pack is to separate the weak ones. It's to get the weak ones off on their own. Why? Because then they can have their day on that weak one. So the shepherd knew that the 99 would be fine together. The problem was is the one that had walked away. Now, here's the thing. That one had walked away. The shepherd didn't lead it away. The shepherd didn't neglect that sheep. It's that he walked away. You need to understand this imagery. Folks, every one of us at one time walked away. Every one of us in here. You say, well, what do you mean? From the moment we were born, we were born with a sin nature. It didn't take long for that sin nature to kick in, did it? And we sinned, I'm telling you. You say, well, how do you know little children can sin? You let a child learn the word no? That's, don't tell me that's not disobedience to parents, right? From the moment they learn no. No. 
Man, it don't take long for that sin nature to kick in and to reveal itself. We are sinful people. We walked away from God. And God is the one that pursued us to bring us back. You see, what you need to understand is that you have value to God. You see, sheep had value to a shepherd for a couple of reasons. Number one, some of those sheep were considered like pets. They loved them. They had a name for every single one of those sheep. Have you ever looked at a sheep and wondered how you could name a hundred sheep and tell them apart? That's almost impossible, right? At least I would think so. But he knows them by name. They know his voice and they will come to him when he calls. So when we look at this imagery, he wants them to see that there's value because of his love for them. There's value in them because there's income in those sheep. Do you realize they would shear the sheep? They would sell the wool and make clothing from it. They might not even sell the wool. They may shear the sheep to make the clothing themselves. They would use this sheep to help the entire family. And some of them, it was a job. We just saw that in John 10, that there were hirelings. There were people who watched the sheep, but they weren't their own. And what did the hirelings do? They, they would run away. They wouldn't protect them. You see, but Jesus wants us to understand that there was great value in that sheep, so much so that he is willing to go to the depths and the ends of the world to find that one. You want to know why I think missions is so important? Because in the book of Revelation, do you realize that there is going to be people from every nation, language, tongue, and tribe there? Aren't you glad that heaven is going to be diverse? Man, I can't wait. It is going to be awesome. So when I think about that, yes, God wants to go to the ends of the earth, and shouldn't we as well? That's why missions is important. That's why we're called to go. He says he will leave the 99. Let me tell you something. America seems like they're the 99. They're the ones that think they're righteous and have no need of repentance. But I'm going to tell you the fields are open. My brother of mine just got back. He went to Nigeria and did missions there. They were seeing people come to know Christ by the hundreds by the hundreds in Nigeria. He said they go into these places and they preach on top of the truck with these megaphones and they're speaking loud and clear with thousands of people gathered around them. And when they call for an invitation, hundreds are coming forward to give their lives to Christ. Mission field, wide open. God will go to the extends of the earth to find that one lost. Verse 5, I love this. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. You know what's cool about that? He doesn't drive the sheep back. How many of you have ever found that, you know, you find that pet or you find that kid and you're like, you know, shah, get back to the house, right? You, you, you just drive them on in or you might lead them, you know. You're kind of walking in front of them. You're like, don't leave me again. Don't get behind me again. Stay with me. Let's go. He didn't drive him. He didn't lead him. It says he picked him up and he put him on his shoulders. Now, you got to understand, this guy's been out there searching we don't know how far he's gone. We don't know how many mountains he's climbed. We don't know the distance he's been. But he goes there and he finds this sheep, which typically weighed about 100 and some pounds. And he picks it up and he puts it on his shoulders and he carries it all the way back. Can I tell you something? If you've run away from God, he'll carry you back. All you got to do is turn around. All you got to do is turn around. He'll carry you back. He's not going to drive you. He's not going to lead you. He's going to carry you. He's going to bring you back into the fold. And then look at verse 6. He's going to rejoice. He says, and when he cometh home, he called together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. And look at verse 7. I love this. I say unto you, and likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Do you realize that when you got saved, heaven threw a party? 
How cool is that? There was a celebration in heaven when you gave your life to Jesus. It says so right there in the scripture. They rejoiced over your salvation. That's how much God loves you. When one person, do you realize that if you were the only person here in this world that Jesus came to save, to pay for, to love, to bring back, he would have done it for you. That's how much he loves you. And so much so that every single time, I'm here to tell you, I believe there's probably a party that is constantly going on in heaven. A party. Man, I can't wait to join it. You know, firing streamers up in the air. Who knows what goes on in heaven? They celebrate. A lot of people think heaven's going to be boring. I think it's a constant party. Not the party like some of y'all go to, but you know, a good party. There's celebration, there's enjoyment, there's excitement. There's a thrill in the air when somebody gets saved and they want everybody to know there's another person. There's another one. There's another one. It's almost like there's a clicker up in heaven and it just keeps dinging. Ding, another save. Ding, another save. Ding, another save. Man, how exciting is that? I'm going to tell you what. It's important that we go share. You know what scares me? There's a passage in there that talks about, you know, if we don't praise him like we ought to, that eventually the rocks are going to cry out. He might should have said that about sharing the gospel with people. If we're not going to do it, the rocks will. See, guys, we got to go. We got something we got to do. We got something that God is calling us to. And here's the parable of the lost sheep. There's a rejoicing in heaven over that one lost sheep that comes back. Number two, let's look at the lost coin, verse 8. Either... What woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, I found the piece which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. <laughs> First, Jesus uses the illustration of a shepherd, which they considered an unclean service. Now get this, now he uses the image of a woman. Now ladies, I don't want you to come in here and get mad at me for saying this, but back then women were not treated properly. They weren't considered equals. And to, and to call God and illustrate God as a woman was considered a foul thing to some people back in that day. But you need to understand that there's two other times that God uses this imagery. And one of them goes all the way back to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And a lot of us miss that. Psalm 23 and verse 5, listen to what it says. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You might say, well, what do you mean? Well, that was considered a woman's job to prepare the table before the visitors. And God says, I've prepared the table. So God's not afraid to use that illustration. You go over in Luke chapter 13 and verse 34 and listen to this. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. He calls himself a hen who gathers his children under her wings. You got to understand the Pharisees at this point are probably going crazy. They're probably looking at him like, who, what are you, why would you use that image of God? What are you, a woman looking for 10 lost coins? Well, they probably didn't get the illustration at all. Didn't get it at all. Because look at what he says. He says, either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece? You might say, well, what's the value of a piece of silver? Well, 
that silver coin represented one day's wages. Now, how many of you, if you lost a day's wages, you wouldn't search for it? Now, for each of us, that'd be different, right? Some of you make more than others, but a day's wage is a day's wage. That's a lot of money. You better believe we'd search for it. She just happened to drop it. She happened to lose it. So what does she do? It says she lights a lamp. She lights a candle. She sweeps the house. She seeks diligently till she finds it. And what we need to understand is that God is going into the cracks, the dust, and the debris. According to Luke 14, 23, he's compelling us to go into the highways and the hedges. He wants us to get out there and tell people about him. Everybody needs to know about Jesus. There's not a soul out there that God doesn't love and doesn't want. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, 2 Peter 3, 9 says this. God wishes for all to repent. All. That means God doesn't want one of us to be lost. God doesn't want one of you to leave without him. God doesn't want one of you to go to hell. He doesn't want that. That's how much he loves you. He will go and he will sweep the cracks. He will do whatever it takes to show you how much he loves you. God is pursuing you this morning. There are some of you sitting in here and you know exactly I'm speaking right to you. I may not know who I'm speaking to, but God knows who he's speaking to. You know he's speaking to you right now. And you're understanding at this very moment, God's pursuit of you, it will not end until you reject him at your final breath. He'll keep pursuing you. He'll keep reaching out to you. He'll keep loving you. And some of you say, well, I got a lot of breaths left. You don't know that. Better quit waiting. You better quit waiting. He values you. He loves you. I'm telling you, there is no greater life than the life that's lived for those of Christ. Luke 19 says he came to seek and to save that which is lost. We are also called to go and seek and to save that which is lost. We are called to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all those that are lost. you got to understand how much God loves you. Let me tell you something. Satan wants to distract you right now. He wants to take your mind off of what God is speaking to you right now. He is trying to tell you. He's not talking to you. He's not talking to you. He's not talking to you. But just in a moment, when you get up and you stand under an invitation, you start gripping the back of that pew, you better know he's talking to you. You see, that's the problem. So often we'll hold on, we'll hold on, we'll hold on, we'll hold on. We'll think, I got plenty of time. You don't have any more time. Today is the day of salvation. It's time to stop holding on. It's time to stop wasting it. And it's time to say, I'm ready to give in to God. But I'm here to tell you, it's going to be easy. It's going to be easy for you to be distracted this morning. It's going to be easy for you to say, you know what? That's not what I want. It's going to be easy for you to sit back there in your chair and say, you know what? He's not speaking to me. I don't want to go up there Everybody else might see me. Everybody else might under, think, know what I'm doing. Can I tell you something? Who cares? Who cares? Because if they're worried about what you're doing coming up here, maybe they ought to come with you. We're just going to rejoice. Can I tell you something? Let's throw a party today. Because heaven's going to throw a party if you come up and you give your life to Christ. Because that's what this passage says. And when she had found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Man, I want heaven to have a party this morning. How about you? You might be holding on, but I'm here to tell you today is the day. Don't waste it. Don't pass over this opportunity. Don't say, well, I'll take care of it later. Don't wait any longer. Is God pursuing you?
Father, we just come to you this morning and 